A popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues, as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, onto the episode. Research has shown that different eras call for different approaches in leadership. Today is no different. Currency fluctuations, record inflation, supply chain shocks, volatile energy prices and rising interest rates have raised the risk of recession in most countries. With growth and profits squeezed and many business-to-business companies, executives are thinking hard about how to sell more efficiently and effectively. It feels like we're entering a new era. In this podcast, we shall explore what does a recession mean for sales leaders with our very own Phil Squire, CEO of Consalia, and the main host of the Sales Transformation Podcast. So, pleasure. So, Phil, can you start by defining the different eras that we recognize and what shifts you are witnessing happening in the world? Um, well, I think if we, if we look at the different um, sort of kind of different eras, we've, we've often talked about, um, you know, we refer back to, to Julian uh, Birkinshaw's eras of um, the industrial era, the knowledge era, and the post-knowledge era. And within that context, within the post-knowledge era, he talks about sources of competitive advantage, and he really highlights two areas, which is around agility and democracy. And I think that you know, both are important, but the the agility topic is probably... Uh, in a world that is changing so fast and so quickly, um, it, it's how leaders respond to the fast-moving changes taking place that that has a lot to, to do with leadership style and how you want to manage it and and uh, control or collaborate with your your management team about how to drive business forward. Uh, so I think it's in that area that we're probably seeing some of the most significant uh, work. To what extent are leaders able to, and um, not just at a personal level, but at an organizational level, ensure that their organizations are equipped with sufficient agility to be able to respond very 
immediately to some of the changing conditions out there in the marketplace? Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. And I mean, the word that you used a couple of times there is how, how can leaders respond uh, and how they can be agile in this um, in this kind of world we're living in. And that, that kind of raises many challenges that I'm sure we'll come on to a bit later. Um, but it, it, it must it must be very difficult to kind of um, anticipate what those kind of changes are, are going to be at this point in time. Do, do you have a view on that? Um, yeah, yes, I do. And I, I think that um, it's, it's uh, I think my, my view is, is possibly informed by a number of works that I kind of read about and also sort of connect back to what I intuitively feel is is kind of right for us in the way that 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 we lead ourselves as a business. This is the important um you know one of the key leadership traits of the future is around ambiguity, the ability to manage ambiguity. And uh, this is often referred to as a generative form of leadership. And generative um, leadership sort of describes a style of leadership which is incredibly collaborative, um, where the leader is not necessarily the expert, but he's one of a team of people, all of whom are kind of experts in their own, rate, uh, own right. Um, a leader who is someone who is kind of curious and open to the ideas of exploring sort of new new ideas um, and a type of leadership which is where 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 everyone has kind of almost joint responsibility for working things out it it doesn't it does it doesn't just fall on the leader but it's very much a kind of team team effort um and this type of leadership is you know it's it's quite it's quite creative in, 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 in that sense. And um, in a world where agility is just so important, you know, that mindset around sort of being creative is probably one of the most important leadership traits that I think is, is, is out there. Um, but I, th I think the, the other sort of dimension that, that maybe is worth thinking about is is disruption. You know, to what extent um, do the leaders look for ideas that could potentially disrupt the marketplace, where they can lead with ideas maybe before the market has considered them? And this mm. takes us into the space of not just being creative and reacting to things that may be thrown at them, but also um, thinking ahead, thinking of what can we do as an, an organization to take the lead in a given sector or in a, you know, with a given product. So this idea of disruption, um, looking for change and transformation, and then learning from those experiences is one of the uh, key traits, I think, for the leadership of the future, which is very much, I think, required in 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 sort of today's world in which we operate. That, that kind of nicely segues into into our next question, which is, um, 
what are the defining characteristics of extraordinary sales leaders? Um, do you know it's quite it's quite uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting that I thought I might be a little bit controversial. I don't know whether whether controversial is the right word here, but um, you know I picked up on on a book that's just been written about power and personality. I'm a bit scared by what, <laughs> what you're going to come out with. Well, one of the one of the things about this book is that you know to what extent do leaders choose themselves, and to what extent does circumstance choose the leader, and um, and you know this this particular book sort of make makes references to some of the sort of great world leaders that we've we've seen, whether it's Mandela, whether it's Churchill and others. And kind of it's suggesting that the situation that you find yourself in, to some extent, dictates the type of leadership that's required for that situation. Um, and, uh, uh, and that there are, there are therefore few if you like, true leaders. But often the people that rise to the top are driven by power, i.e. wanting to be able to control a situation, and personality, the kind of, you know, sometimes leaders are very egotistical in the way that they want to sort of manage, uh, you know, manage the world. But I was sort of taken with this situation of to what extent do... Our sales leaders, a circumstance of the situation that they've inherited at the time, or to what extent are sales leaders, through their own personal development and management traits, sort of able to get up the the kind of leadership ladder? Now, for example, in the entrepreneurial world that we live in, um, that we live in here at Consalia. It often takes a different type of leader to get a business off the ground and running to uh, uh, to, a, to the leadership that's required to grow the business from a situation where the entrepreneur has set something up and it needs to become much more systematic and structured perhaps in the way that it moves on to the next stage. So when you start to look at sort of your question about characteristics of a, of a sales leader, I've, I find that sometimes a bit, you know, I find it difficult to be able to give a straight answer in the, in, in the sense that if you take this, 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 uh, the situational context of whatever a business might be in, there may be a requirement for different types of leadership. So I'm not, I'm not honestly not sure if there is just one size that fits all. Except my inclination is that no matter what scenario we're in, some of the characteristics of leadership that I referred to earlier about this generative leadership style is something that I think holds true no matter whether you're a small business expanding or whether you're in a large business that needs downsizing or whether you're in a a, a medium-sized business that's going for its next level of of growth, I think the ability to be able to look ambiguity in the face, to be able to kind of figure out 
new ways of doing things is likely to be a dominant trait of the successful leader, no matter what situation they're in. I, I think I think that makes sense. Um, I guess if we if we you know step back slightly and we look at kind of the typical leaders and how how they relate to specific eras in a really broad sense, um, like what you were you mentioned about Birkinshaw before. Do you see that there's been a shift in kind of leadership style depending on the era that they're operating in, broadly speaking? I'm not sure if there's been a difference in style. I mean, it may, it may be worthwhile exploring that, but but what we you know sort of quite often find in terms of the systems that support a sales leader to do their job, and that quite often you you know you you have a company's sales system is driven around the number of sales of different products. So that type mm. of sales leadership is going to be one that's very much focused on unit volume sales, pricing, margin, and so on. Um, and so you have a very product-centric selling system led by a product-centric sales director who is targeted and KPI'd around the hitting of those numbers. So, so that's one, and, and that's a very trading stroke, um, transactional form of sales leadership. And that, that may be fit for purpose. That, that may be what's required in, in, in a given situation that there's this focus on, on, on product. There's another system that you may have, which is actually, it's not about product. It's about customer and it's about to what extent do we develop a sales leadership system that's built around how, how we focus on the customer. And so, um, you know, that's a very different approach. It's a, it's a more holistic sales process. It's a more, um, research orientated, really getting to understand the customer's drivers and, and everything you do as a sales leader in terms of the way that you're working with your management team and, 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 and the people that report through them is consistent towards this, whatever we do in our sales selling system or whatever I do as a sales leader is to kind of support that notion of customers are always the most important focus of our, our sort of leadership activities. You know, the two, you know, those two describe very different sort of leadership styles. So depending yeah. on the way the business wants to be driven would be the type of leadership that's required to to make that kind of successful. No, I, I understand there's, there's so many kind of nuanced variables that require different sort of skill sets depending on the product, the way they sell, customer-centric, um, solution-centric. So I'm going to put you a bit on the spot. Um, if you... You know, if you were to imagine or, or kind of think of a sales leader that you would put on a pedestal that, that for the purpose of our audience, um, might be well known or might not be, depending <laughs> on what you would, you would say, um, who do you think is getting it right at the moment? 
God, you know, I, I'm not sure that um, I can answer that question. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure that I should answer that question either, because I think it <laughs> it might be slightly sort of controversial. Um, but I think I can kind of describe the the kind of sales leaders that, to me, sort of earn huge amounts of respect, have really sort of highly and well motivated teams, and are are be seen to be sort of fair in the way that they're working with people and 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 have you know this sort of tough love if you like of 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 the um of the sales sales organization um but i i think it's quite rare to you know even if sales leaders have those characteristics it, it's 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 sometimes quite rare to see them um enacted because of the system under which the sales leaders themselves have to operate in. You know, we've seen some quite amazing um, sales leaders who have consistently hit targets and they've, they've, they've done it, um, you know, not just through one or two individuals hitting quota, but, but all of their team hitting quota who have very much this team ethos about them and I've seen them being incredibly successful across different jobs, but then moving into a different kind of organization that's perhaps more product focused and less team orientated. And it's completely burnt them out. And they've become less yeah. successful. Um so uh yes I have seen some 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 great leaders. I mean on GST we've seen some of those great leaders, people like Paul Devlin, for example, at SAP and, and how he's transformed, you know, his sales teams, uh, you know, initially in the Middle East and then across Northern Europe. And uh, it's been quite extraordinary to watch um, his his career sort of develop over time. Um, and he's someone in whom I have, you know, a huge amount of time and, and respect. Um, but I've also seen individuals like Paul who've gone into jobs where, where the environment is, is, is fairly toxic and difficult and doesn't allow that kind of culture to flourish. So this comes back to the kind of issues that I was sort of talking a, a little bit about before about to what extent does the, the situation choose the leader uh, versus the extent to which the leader is able to to make their own imprint? I mean, Bill McDermott, I think, has been a, a great leader. You know, if you if you you know, he he's ex SAP sort of moved on to ServiceNow, and we can see the extraordinary success of of ServiceNow. And I've I've followed Bill McDermott's career with interest. Uh, Carly Fiorini at HPE going back to uh, some of the early days of HPE. Again, you know, an extraordinarily sort of great sales leader who rose the ranks to becoming a CEO, you know, CEOs of, 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 of organizations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there have been individuals that once followed, but I'm, I'm quite often taken with the, 
um, taken with this concept of circumstance and to what extent does circumstance choose the leader that's required and how much influence do great sales leaders really have on the way that they're, they're able to drive performance. If you were to, because you mentioned the kind of uh, the situation that leaders operate in influences the, um, I guess, influence the, the amount of control that they have in order to lead, um, essentially. Are you, are you talking about culture there? Are you talking about the culture? Yeah, there's, I, I think, you know, culture has, you know, sort of a lot to do with this. And we know how difficult it is to, to kind of change culture. And so if you're someone who's got very much a sort of an agile mindset, which I believe is required for today's world, and they go and work in an organization which is which is very traditional and doesn't want to shift, um, you know, there's a limit to how much an individual can can actually sort of make a huge different so yeah sometimes the culture of the organization given the organization's size really does have an impact on how leaders can can lead but it but it might also be influenced by uh, the managing director or you know the those that the senior sales leader reports into you know, to what extent yeah. are they led in a way that allows them to to kind of flourish and i think you know therein lies big challenge you know the further up the organization you go you tend to find much more focuses on short-term you know quarterly management targets which drives a very short-term behavior and in driving that kind of behavior it makes potentially a sales leader struggle to balance what they need to do to get their short-term results against what they need to do to develop the results of the future. But I think that one of the one of the the most important characteristics of a great sales leader is to understand what is their purpose and to have a very clear identity around how they want to be seen by others and that mm. um and that this enables those working around them to see consistency in the way that leader will operate. Um, and that ability to in encourage others around them to share similar visions is one of the great traits, I think, that great sales leaders have. Yeah, to what extent has that uh, sort of self-purpose been defined as, as a leadership level? I, I question sometimes. It's not just about driving results. It's also about how they want to lead and how they want to manage and how they want to create their own sort of personal leadership sort of identity and brand. So go, going back to the the kind of topic that we set out at the start, so understanding that we're sort of entering a really, you know, if you read the news, a very turbulent time, um, and you you touched on it earlier, but I'm hoping we could go into a bit more depth around this, um, around generative leadership. Is is that the kind of leader that you want to see, um, or is that the kind of leader that needs to be 
operationalized uh, as we entered this kind of rocky period. Um, and if you could go into a bit more detail around what generative leadership is, I think that would be really useful. Yeah, I, th I think when you're faced with uh, a kind of recession, you have to make sort of tough decisions and that, and you, you have to make quick decisions as well. Um, and one could argue that uh, that is not necessarily a, a quality of a generative leader, except the counter to that is that those tough decisions aren't necessarily taken by one person, the leader. It's done as part of working together with others, trying to figure out how you navigate your way through the challenges that the, the kind of recession um, is, is confronting you with. Um, so if we start to look at, at, um, at generative in a bit more kind of detail, um, I think I've alluded to some of the qualities kind of earlier on, you know, that they will have an ethos or an approach that is they don't have all the answers. They will be very inclusive with others. Um, any vision that's created for the organization is not their personal vision. It's built, you know, with other, other people. Um, they see their role in the organization as comprising leaders and experts and that sometimes the situation that you're faced with requires a, a different leader to take control. So even though you might be the sales leader, if someone in your team has more expertise than you in, in that particular challenge, that they should be the leader of that project or, you know, whatever. So it's this idea of, of status and hierarchy is something that is not so important, you know, to a generative leader, someone that's able to look yeah. at a scenario, a situation and work out, you know, who is the best person to, to kind of lead us in this particular problem. Um, attitudes to risk. Um, if you don't, if you don't embrace risk, if you do not see risk as an opportunity to innovate or come up with new ways of doing things, you, you wouldn't be a generative leader. Um, so you're a type of leader who will create space for others to try things out and, uh, but to quickly learn, obviously to quickly learn from mistakes if things aren't sort of working as, as they should do. Um, it's someone who is con constantly searching, not, not just for how can we do what we do better and more efficiently, but is is encouraging them and the team around them to come up with ideas that no one's yet thought of. So it's being, it's, it's encouraging this, what, what is the future? How can what we do disrupt the marketplace to give us a competitive advantage? When we start to look at things like values, which, which I know is something that's very core to what we do here at Consalia, it's understanding that the situation that one is facing may require a different set of values and belief systems in order to deal with the problem that's surfaced. So if we are in this recessionary period, then 
a, a set of values and belief systems about how to deal with that that helps manage that short-term, hopefully short-term sort of crisis, if you like, comes into play. So this requires quite a high level of emotional intelligence. Um, hmm. I, I think that was going to be my next question was, um, how, you know, how important are the social skills for for leaders? Well, I think all all the sort of social skills, I think, are hugely important. Um, uh, and, you know, a lot of the students who've come through our programs are kind of focused on emotional intelligence and all the range of skills that are associated with that. Um, it's interesting, one or two people have been talking to me about sort of intuitive leadership, and I've, I've been sort of thinking about, well, what does that really mean? And I don't know whether that's an emotional skill, but this sort of sense of intuitively knowing where the opportunities might be or at what time do you take what decisions, you know, that, you know, where does that intuition kind of come from? And I, I think that that probably requires a combination of, of data, but also quite a high level of emotional intelligence, sort of sensing what is the emotional um, comfort levels within an organization. Um, so I think that, yeah, there's a whole gamut of sort of social skills, particularly in a world where um, the relational attributes are becoming more important. You know, how people interact with each other, how do people keep connected in a disconnected world, if, if you like, with, with perhaps the outputs of the pandemic uh, fueling uh, sort of sensitivities around sort of coming back together again. Um, you know, at what point to become nationalistic versus global in your approach as a leader? You know, it's, it's, it's quite subtle, I think, sometimes the things that influence how a leadership is going to grow and develop the business and look for new areas and new markets. So what could, as salespeople, inclusive of sales leaders, what kind of practical advice would you give um, in preparation potentially for, for a recession? I think, uh, I think the study of resilience is quite good <laughs> and, you know, sort of how do people become more, more resilient? Um, uh, you know, I've, I've been interested in studying uh, leadership in, in crisis, you know, what sort of traits may sort of stand out as being slightly more, more important. Um, so I think it's, doing research on it, you know, sort of figuring out what is your own philosophy of management. Um, having gone through so many sort of crises in my career, you sort of realize that there's a beginning, a middle and an end to a crisis. And, and um, I think what's challenging about the current things that are being thrown at us, at us is the, uh, the volume of global factors that are influencing uh, decision-making at a political and at a sort of financial level that's having an impact on every business. Um, do, you, do you feel like um, 
this is different to previous kind of situations you've experienced? I think the pandemic is different. Uh, I think that that's different. But the financial crisis and interest rate rises has been different. I think the war in Europe is new. Uh, we've not had a war in Europe since the Second World War. So um, I, I think that that sort of created a degree of sort of uncertainty. And But I think the way you respond to crisis doesn't change. I think that the nature of the crisis may be different, but the qualities that you need uh, during this recession are really important. So I think uh, sort of understanding the impact that it has on people is important. You know, recession, um, as a leader, it's understanding the impact of the cost of living on how your employees are struggling uh, with uh, making ends meet, um, having that sort of sensitivity to a sort of global context in the way that you deal with your teams is is it's going to be really important. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I think, you know, is key to how you manage to deal with with crisis and we talked about resilience is purpose is actually having a really strong sense of purpose and believing in what is your purpose and keeping true to that and and being tenacious about having that as your north star if you like guiding you through the twists and turns of how market conditions may put blocks in your way. But having that purpose is really important. The, um, the book you, uh, the book you've recommended to me once, um, around purpose was hugely impactful when I read it. Um, do do you know which one I'm referring to? I'm not sure. It's set in the, again, it's set in the Second World War and the focus was around having, per, well, having purpose really enabled them to get through a really tough situation. Um, Victor, um, gosh. <laughs> okay. It'll come okay. to me. Um, you will know exactly the book I'm talking about um, because it's one of, Oh, right. Your recommendation. I can't, anyway. you know, I can't remember the book that you're referring to. Never mind, never mind. You know, I'm hearing how important purpose is. And I think that at an individual level, we will need to understand what that purpose is. Yeah. Um, from, a, from a kind of supportive point of view, as a, as a sales leader, how can you support you know, salespeople in your team. Um, well, I think coaching is going to have a, you know, sort of a coaching mindset is going to have a, a really important part to play. Um, yeah. I, th I think that addresses some of the, the, the kind of emotional needs, but also it's being able to reset um, direction in terms of, say, target setting, I was quite interested to observe whether during the pandemic, 
companies would readjust sales target levels during the pandemic. And I was quite surprised how most organizations that we were kind of dealing with kept the targets the same, even though there were sort of massive factors that would make it incredibly difficult for those kind of targets to be reached. Um, so I think the whole process of adapting the selling system according to the situation that you now find yourself in uh, to be able to readjust and and to manage upwards, uh, something we haven't really talked about. You know, as a leader, your job is to manage your leaders, if you like, people that you report into as a leader um, in order to protect as much as you can the the teams of people that may report into you. Um, there's an awful lot of cross-departmental collaboration that a leader needs to facilitate in order for deals to be done and to be made um, and strings to be pulled in certain directions. So I think that a lot of the job of a great sales leader is to take what could be very difficult discussions with the people that they report into, uh, take those discussions on at the same time as protecting the team of people that that are reporting to them, um, just allowing those individuals the space to be able to do their best jobs possible in order to meet targets in you know, prevailing winds that make it really, really difficult, you know, to sail through. I think it's going to become uh, more and more important. And it, and it links back to that um, emotional intelligence yeah. comment that you made. I think, um, you know, as everyone's, everyone's being squeezed and it's important to understand what people in your team are, are going through. Yeah, so I think yeah. it's it, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's about transparency and it's about being honest and it's about being seen as much as possible to be fair. And so the you know, the pain is the pain of a particular scenario that you might be going through is kind of very much a shared it's a you know, it's a collective pain. <laughs> Uh, but I think the, le mm. the leader to do whatever he can to protect, you know, the people within them to, in order to encourage trust and loyalty. And I think people will do amazing things for those where they've earned that respect. And you only need to see yep. some of the great leaders in the world to see, you know, how once you earn that respect, amazing things can be done. You know, take Nelson Mandela, you know, as a prime example of someone with a great purpose and a great patience and ending up as being such a great leader of a nation, uh, driving huge amounts of transformation in a very non-coercive kind of way. I'm going to, you know, change tack slightly. Uh, I think we've spoken quite a lot around the kind of soft skills and um, emotional intelligence and the the attributes for, for leadership. Um, uh, I kind of want to talk a bit more about te the technology side of things. So I think we, we all recognize during COVID, there's a real shift in how businesses operate 
um, you know, speaking on what we've done within Consalia, we've um, we adopted and um, we adopted technology and increased our usership of it in a sense that we had never done prior to the pandemic. Um, and I just wonder if you had a view about how technology has shifted the way um, salespeople can become more agile and uh, more efficient in the way they conduct their sales operations. I think this is kind of a new frontier that's kind of emerging in the in the sales world. Um, and I I think there's is that there has to be a kind of shift because now I've seen a lot of the the technology and data which is sort of driven out of systems that benefit managers more than they do benefit salespeople. Now I've not seen that many salespeople rave about a CRM system saying how wonderful it is and how it's sort of changed their life and how it makes their their work more efficient. Um, and we're now seeing with the advent of AI and incredibly powerful analytics tools, the ability to be able to look at data in, in different ways. I don't think traditionally salespeople have been that brilliant at data. I think perhaps they've been stronger on the emotional side uh, because so much of what they do is about building relationships. And I think there is a, a bridge to be built between you know, the data, uh, the use of data, the, the ability to use data to predict future performance, um, and then the emotional attributes needed to do to build the relationships that will help you sell more. Um, and I think this is quite an exciting new area, you know, for sales. Um, I think that from, from my observations, a lot of selling organizations don't understand the questions that need to be asked in order to enable them to better predict future performance. And if you've got sales leaders who don't know the questions to ask because they perhaps haven't thought in a certain way, then they're not going to build the systems to enable them to predict future performance. So this is a this is a, an area of um, you know that I'm I'm really excited about is the we talked about disruption earlier on, and part of disrupt a, a disruptive. Uh, Init sort of initiative requires information and data to be able to spot where there could be areas to do more or less in, what levers to pull in order to drive better sales performance. Hmm. So I think this is really exciting. And there's all sorts of technologies emerging around conversation analytics. There's a beginning to put more science into the way in which conversations are constructed and propensity of of sellers and buyers to do business together based on a more, you know, a deeper understanding of language and how that's been used. Uh, I think these are just some of the examples of some of the new technologies that are emerging that I can't profess to be an expert in, but currently really looking forward to exploring in detail. We've, we're seeing elements of it and we're, we're working on some very exciting new ideas uh, for salespeople, mm. but I just know there's a whole load out there that we can look forward to, sort of emerging technologies that can enable they're much more much more sales centric 
less management centric that can enable salespeople to do their jobs more easily. Well, I think that that might be a topic of a future podcast. Yeah, I think I think we should really, I think um, we should get some of the experts that we know in this field to come and talk more about the tools that they're using because you know with clients that we work with, you often find they're doing things which are amazing. And it's good to learn from those. And I think it would be great to bring a group of these sort of future thinking sales leaders or sales operations leaders together to talk about yeah. how the science can actually help those um, in in a sales world. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just it reminds me of the quotes that Peter Drucker said, um, the more we automate information handling, the more we will have to create opportunities for effective communication. Yeah. Which just seems very relative um, or relevant even uh, to the conversations that we're having, yeah. which essentially... And he was around in the 1960s. Me... I mean, that that's... Uh, I mean, I know, you know, yeah. he's 80s, so that was some time ago that he's made that quick. No, absolutely. Exactly. I guess we're, we're coming to an end. Uh, I wondered if you had any kind of lasting... Um, comments or advice that you want to give people as you know as we enter into into this sort of new era potentially and um, yeah what leaders should be you know focusing on um, I think we probably covered a, a lot of the things that I think they should be focused on you know purpose vision collaboration pushing boundaries creative uh, I think the idea of being the the first follower versus, you know, the leader is terribly important. Um, challenging the status quo. I think all of these attributes are consistent with this agile leadership that people are talking about at the moment. Um, yeah. And then coupled with that, recognizing the importance of data, uh, the science of data. So being curious to look for ways to use information in order to help you and your teams make more informed decisions. So I think a combination of these these attributes are, are what's going to help make a, a sales leader great. Um, mm. And to lead and, and not sort of, you know, many people in sales leadership are great salespeople and they, they still want to go out there, they want to close the deals, but recognizing that sales leadership is a very different role to being a great salesperson. And I think for many they they sometimes don't 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 let go of things that they probably love doing, which is closing great deals. Uh but perhaps they yeah. forget the importance of what leadership is all about. Absolutely. And um the the name of that book just sprung into my mind. Um it was um Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Do you know what Around I don't know if that was me that recommended that book to you. You know, <laughs> I must read it myself because I don't have it on my bookshelf. I'm convinced I... it was you, but and um, that okay. is my lasting recommendation okay. yeah. to anyone's listening to this. It is a fabulous book around um, around purpose. Oh, I really know. inspirational. Yes, the uh, Second World War, Prison of War. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's a beautiful book. <laughs> and yes, I yeah. do remember that book. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Will. It's been great talking to you again. And you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye.